This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. Welcome in, in the zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. Back once again here on your airwaves, I'm Jackson Schneider, joined as always by James Wessling. Lots to talk about today, continuing conversations on the NFL draft. We'll take a peek around the AFC West. Uh, We've also got some Super Bowl odds, by the way, James, uh, to take a peek at now that we have the NFL draft behind us from this past weekend. But where we want to start today is actually on the hardwood, because Kansas State, uh, as many people are aware, they've been in an interesting situation. New head coach. Mass exodus from several players, and it seemed like uh, Jerome Tang was kind of just clearing house a little bit, making way for new guys that fit his system and what he wants to do. But there was a while where just no one had committed yet. People were getting a little bit antsy, a little bit unsure. And then Jarrell Colbert commits, Cam Carter commits, and now K-State seems to really be picking up some steam here. And they added... Dorian Finister, a high school guard, a 6'5 guard, by the way, out of New Orleans yesterday. And they've added another one last night, Naquan Tomlin, a 6'9 small forward out of Chippewa College in Florida, Juco transfer, one of the top Juco players that was available. So K-State's been putting in some work here, James, but it doesn't show like there's any signs of it stopping soon. Yeah, I was asked yesterday if, in terms of the sports world in our show, if things were slowing down. And the sports world has slowed down in terms of games and sports. We just have baseball happening right now and and the spring sports here locally. But in terms of the colleges and the pro teams, it hasn't slowed down at all because uh, we are in the thick of college basketball recruiting for KU and K-State. And the two guys that K-State inked yesterday and, and today um, have to feel pretty good about. Dorian Finister, as you noted, is super long, 6'5". He's a developmental player. I don't think he plays right away. But you got to realize he is the same height, if not taller, than the guy that was playing the four for K-State yeah. last year and led them in yeah. rebounding, Mark Smith. And that kind of seems to be... Um, something this staff is going after, really long players, guards and posts. And Naquan Tomlin, the Juco player that committed to K-State, who's the top Juco player on the board, a top 10 player by just about every uh, recruiting service out there, he's a guy that is 6'8", but has a 6'10 wingspan and is going to be really good defensively. Still pretty raw offensively. A lot of his points come right at the rim in the form of dunks and alley-oop lobs, which will be fun to watch, but he's not a guy that's going to light up the scoreboard. Um, The thing that I like about him is he's from New York. You've got that connection now kind of continuing to brew for K-State, and then he comes from a powerhouse JUCO program, and he took one other visit to St. John's, and his visit scheduled for after K-State that he didn't get to because of his commitment was Texas Tech who's notorious for developing transfers and junior college players. So I think Tomlin is a guy that won't start right away, but will definitely be in the top seven or eight for K-State. And so 
uh, with six scholarships still remaining, you know, this roster's a little over half full. Definitely starting to see some progress for the Wildcats. Yeah, and they're still certainly working heavily in the transfer market. Kyle Lofton is a name that we've started to hear a lot more lately, a guy who started 116 games over four years at St. Bonaventure, averaging nearly 14 points a game uh, in that time span, as well as five assists a game, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. But he's been attached to K-State, has one year left for him to play as a grad transfer. Also, um, there have been others. The His name escapes Antoine Davis, there it was, from Detroit Mercy, one of the top scorers in the country over the last several years. Prolific scoring guy, already took his visit to K-State. He's got a few more scheduled, but K-State certainly still in the mix there. So there's a couple of guys, and that's that's only just really from surface level what we've heard here so there could be several more still to come that we haven't even been aware of just yet but K-State's certainly starting to make waves in the recruiting cycle and I say make waves because as it is right now K-State's overall recruiting rank for this next season is according to 247 Sports number 55 overall. Their composite rank is 60. Their transfer rating is 24. So very impressive numbers for Jerome Tang and his brand new staff, which by the way, we'll add another detail in there, grew by one member officially today. And uh, that is the addition of Kevin Sutton as the director of basketball strategies. He has more than 36 years of coaching experience, including 15 in the Division One level. Uh, he comes to K-State after spending a year at Florida Gulf Coast for head coach Mike Fly. He's also served on coaching staffs for James Madison, Old Dominion, George Washington, Georgetown, Pittsburgh and Rhode Island so plenty of experience there for the new again director of basketball strategies for K-State and head coach Jerome Tang that's Kevin Sutton so interesting little note to just sprinkle on to this recruiting topic as well well and you brought up you know K-State being ranked in the mid 50s that's a pretty good spot for a basketball uh school that's going through a coaching change, especially when you consider the fact that there's 350-some Division One programs. And in basketball, unlike football, where, you know, football has about 150 Division One programs, basketball, you also have some really strong greater five or greater six conferences that don't play football, especially when you yeah. look at the Big East and what they traditionally do on the recruiting trail. And when it comes to Naquan Tomlin, the, the JUCO kid that just committed – you know, you look at the uh, – people are usually pretty split on whether you should recruit JUCO players or not. And you look at the last three junior college uh, recruits that K-State had on their team under the previous staff, Rudy Williams, David Sloan, and Austin Trice. Neither of those three guys really did a lot at K-State outside of Sloan. He was a pretty good point guard. But those three guys all went on to other schools – and in their second year of collegiate basketball at the D1 level, flourished. Rudy Williams is back in the transfer portal and has heavy interest from a numerous Power 5 schools after he dominated at Coastal Carolina. David Sloan uh, was first-team all-conference at East Tennessee State. Austin Trice was at Old Dominion in the Conference USA, also was first-team all-league in the Defensive Player of the Year, averaged like 17 points and 12 or 13 rebounds a game. I mean, he just had ridiculous numbers. And so a lot of times, Juco players, my point is, it's that second year. 
outside of junior college that they really grow and hit their stride when it comes to Division One basketball. And so I think that in some ways Tomlin is a developmental guy as well, just from the standpoint that he could really, really be a good player for K-State in his second year, although I do think he's going to play some in his first year. And he's not the, 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 the last junior college player that K-State's going after. Baylor, by the way, had a lot of success with junior college basketball players um, when uh, Tang was an assistant there. But Jaquan Walton is a guard from Shelton State that K-State's going after. And then you mentioned some of the the Power Five or Greater Six Conference guys that K-State's going after as well. Yeah, there's going to be a lot that starts to come of the transfer portal in the very near future. Again, the deadline to enter the transfer portal was May 1st. So no new names will be added to the transfer portal. Um, However... The NBA draft could make things a little interesting. Some players had entered the portal and put their name in the draft. Some may rescind their name from the draft and test the waters elsewhere at other schools. But a lot of time between now and really starting to learn how this roster is going to take shape. I would imagine, though, it's going to start moving really, really quickly. It seems like there's a lot of momentum right now. And with two commits yesterday, it only seems like a matter of time before the rest of the roster starts to take shape. So I think fans can feel pretty excited about the future there, especially for a coach that you know, has only been in Manhattan for, what, a month and a half at this point now? Not very long, but he has clearly put together a good group of of assistants and uh, players that have bought in. Uh, So, hey, you know, you never really know uh, until they finally hit the floor in, what, early November? But at this point, I I would say there's more reason for excitement for K-State basketball than there has been in quite some time. Definitely. And we're talking so much K-State basketball, and I know it's weird because the other Kansas school, uh, Big 12 school, KU, just won the national championship. But KU's been quiet during this recruiting period because they don't have an entire roster to fill. Christian Brown is testing the NBA waters. Outside of that, there's really not any question marks when it comes to KU. You know, they missed out on Kendrick Davis, uh, who they were a finalist for, the guard from SMU who's considered one of the top transfers in the open market. He committed to Memphis. But the other guy that KU is in the mix for is Kevin McCuller, who was all Big 12 at Texas Tech last year. He's down to the the final three, Kansas, Gonzaga, and then the NBA draft. But I don't think he's a player that would get drafted this year. So I think he does come back to school one more year, whether it's at KU or Gonzaga. And outside of him, that's really the only transfer that we've seen mentioned tied to KU because they have so many high school players that are already signed. They've got five top 100 recruits, four in the top 50, and a top three recruiting class coming in next year. And I think they're going to be a lot like Baylor was coming off their national championship year in which they had a lot of guys kind of waiting in the wings that were playing behind all these superstars that are really going to step up and take their game to the next level. So KU's roster is almost set. That's why you know, we've been a little bit quiet on the Hawks. Well, a little bit, but there's also some uncertainty because some of the, the names like Kevin McCuller, uh, there there would be kind of a logjam. There's no real space at the moment. I mean, Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown are both currently in the draft conversation, but they could come back. And if they do, that kind of changes the equation on what transfers or new faces Kansas could bring in. But their name has been attached 
to a couple, and one that is actually pretty recent and a little bit local as well is Ricky Council, Wichita State. He, you can look this up on his Instagram. He he released his like top five or six schools after uh, announcing that he would transfer from Wichita State. Kansas is one of them. But that was kind of a surprise because it's not very well known that Kansas had been talking, if at all, to Ricky Council. Uh, but again, Kansas doesn't have any space right now to take in transfers unless someone else leaves or unless Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown both announced that they will be staying in the draft. That would clear up a little bit more space. But as of right now, it, there, there's like, I guess... Uh, the reservations, reserved signs at seats in the locker room, uh, and no newcomers can come in until otherwise noted for the Jayhawks. So I'm very confused with how their situation is going to unfold, but here in the coming weeks, I'm sure we'll start to figure it out. I would I would anticipate that Christian Brown will actually stay in the draft. Uh, he's starting to get a little bit more buzz at that level, but I'm very unsure about Jalen Wilson. He's got the body, but... If he comes back, that leaves, I think, one additional spot for Kansas, maybe for a Kevin McCuller. Uh, but two spaces is a little bit different as well, especially if Kansas can grab some high-level transfers. And I'm going to guess that McCuller is kind of waiting to see what Christian Brown does. Um, you know, Kevin McCuller is a guy that's going through the draft process as well. So, you know, you're probably going to have a decision on those two guys and their future around the same time. Um, but when you transfer to KU, usually you sit the bench. I mean, look at Joseph Yesifu, who just burst onto the scene in the NCAA tournament two seasons ago at Drake and averaged 15, 16 points per game in the Missouri Valley. He got on campus, and he couldn't get on the floor at KU. Remy Martin, who was one of the final commitments in the transfer portal a season ago, uh, you know, he was hurt last year, so this probably isn't a fair assessment of him. But he was the Pac-12 player of the year, scored 20 points a game, gets to KU, and he still played a lot in the NCAA tournament. But even if he's healthy all year, he's a guy that's coming off the bench. He was KU. the preseason Big 12 player of the yep. year, too. Because of what he did at Arizona State. Yeah, you know, and, so. and rightfully so. But it kind of just shows you – actually, what you had said makes me wonder – if Joe Yesifu's role will increase this coming year and kind of maybe this was just a year to kind of use him as a, a role player, which he had some big moments. He had some really big moments, especially uh, on, in the road win at West Virginia. He had a huge game, a couple of big steals that led to buckets and KU ultimately pulling away there. So he's gotten some experience, but it was definitely, like you said, not like what he was doing at, at Drake. So I'm curious as to whether or not that would lead to maybe an expanded role for him in the future based on what Kansas brings in. Because although they will have a lot of instant impact guys in this highly touted recruiting class, a lot of them are freshmen that need some growing time, right? They may step in and be high-level NCAA players. Some of them may need a month or two to catch up with the game. So you never really know, but Kansas has certainly got the horses, and they always do. But we got to get to a break here, our first break on the show today. When we come back, we'll continue our conversations, maybe take a peek at the AFC West and their draft situation now that we've uh, got it under our belt and everything. Got to talk a little bit about the Chiefs yesterday. Let's take a look around the division when we come back on In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL.
Zone is powered by Hometown Outdoor Power in McPherson, Salina, and Minneapolis. Make sure your mowers are ready for this outdoor mowing season, and you can save with their winter service program. Give them a call to set up your appointment today, or you can visit them at hometownoutdoorpower.com. That's hometownoutdoorpower.com. Again, with all the rain and the weather and everything, your lawn's going to be growing and growing pretty quick. So if you don't have that mower serviced yet, you better get on it before your weeds are waist high. Back within the zone here, segment two on the show today. We were talking some K-State hoops in the first segment. A little bit of KU hoops as well mixed in there. Now we'll shift to NFL once again. Again, we talked primarily Chiefs yesterday about their draft this weekend, who all they brought in, but, but there's a lot still yet to discuss, especially within the AFC West. And before we get into the draft conversation as a whole, James, who is the Super Bowl favorite betting odd right now? Like, who's the betting odds favorite? If Off the top of your head, who do you have to guess? Uh, I'm going to guess it's still the Rams. It is not. The Rams are one, two, three, four, fifth. Actually, well, tied for third, technically. Okay. Sorry. All right, if it's not the Rams, that really surprises me because they bought brought just about everybody back. If it's not the Rams, I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. That is correct. Vaughn Miller among some other pieces. Yes, the Buffalo Bills are your Super Bowl odds leader right now at plus 650, closely followed by Tampa Bay at plus 700. And then you've got Green Bay, Kansas City, and the Rams at 10 to 1. Uh, but the rest of this top 10 or so includes all three AFC West opponents for the Chiefs the Ra- the Chargers the Raiders and the Broncos at 14 to 1 14 to 1 and 16 to 1 respectively so all four AFC West teams in the top 10 in terms of Super Bowl odds and we still have a lot of time between now and training camp for free agents and whatnot so uh very, very competitive division, to say the least, um, about the AFC West. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And the the division, you know, I could see this being a year in which the team that wins the division has a 10-7 and record because I just think that these teams are going to cannibalize one another. But with that, I'll be shocked if there's not three teams in the NFL playoffs from the AFC West, especially with the expansion. And then it's just going to be a matter of who's healthy and who gets hot. Uh, because I think come playoff time, nobody's going to want to play anybody from the AFC West when you look at just how loaded this division is. I'm looking at the NFL.com power rankings right now, and it too has all four teams from the AFC West in the top 10. And they go seven Kansas City, eight Denver, nine the LA Chargers, and 10 the Las Vegas Raiders. They've got them back to back to back to back. So it's going to be wild uh, come this season. Now, looking at the AFC West and what the teams all did in the NFL draft this past weekend, Kansas City had the most selections, um, and they ended up with 10. They went into the draft with 12, but they exited with 10 new players, uh, which is the most in the division. The Denver Broncos had nine new additions, but they did not have a pick until 64th overall in the second round. Then you've got the... L.A. Chargers, they had, let's see here, eight selections, uh, but they did not have a second rounder. And the fewest selections 
In the division is Las Vegas, just six new additions, uh, and they did not pick until pick number 90 in the draft. So um, early impressions, James, have you looked at the draft classes of each of the opponents here? Do you want to start with the Broncos and just take a peek at each of them one by one? Sure, we can take a peek at the Broncos. I would say the team outside of the Chiefs that had the best draft was the Chargers, and I can tell you why in a minute. But I thought Denver had an okay draft. You know, Denver didn't have a lot of picks. Uh, Denver got a lot better in the offseason via trade and bringing in Russell Wilson uh, to finally have a quarterback. But they needed a tight end because they traded Noah Fant to the Seahawks, and they run a lot of two tight end sets. They've got the the guy that was the rookie last year from Missouri who had a really good rookie season. But Greg Dolchich is supposed to be a really NFL-ready tight end from UCLA. Comes from a, a pro-style offense that Chip Kelly runs with the Bruins. So he should be a plug-and-play guy right away. And then really ever since Vaughn Miller left Denver, they've been searching for an edge rusher, and they just keep kind of throwing darts at the dartboard. And so they took Nick Benito. They haven't been able to find that guy. Bradley Chubb's been, Chubb's been dinged up. You know, they've missed on a couple others via the draft, and so they took another stab at it with Nick Benito, who uh, is really fast, really athletic, comes from Oklahoma where they just breed talent. So all in all, I would definitely give Denver a passing grade, but really nothing more, just more so uh, from the fact that they didn't have a lot of picks. Yeah, they didn't have a ton, but they did. I One thing that I will say the Broncos did that very much, um, I guess, made me scratch my head was taking Greg Dolchich from UCLA, tight end, um, because they have so many already on their roster, or at least they've taken some highly touted tight ends out of college over the last several years. I mean, Noah Fant especially was one of them. Um, Eric I, I don't even want to try and say his last yeah, name. He was from Missouri. Missouri. Eric O, I think, is Ogbenam, something yeah. like that, um, was another one who's pretty highly thought of. But they take another highly touted tight end from UCLA and Greg Dolchich. So I'm very curious what the plan is there in Denver uh, with all of those tight ends. Um, and maybe if they've just realized that Noah Fant was kind of a – not going to get it done at the level that they that they would like. So I'm very curious in in that one. But according to um, the score, the Broncos actually got the lowest grade in the draft of, as it relates to the AFC West. The highest draft grade, by the way, went to the Chiefs. Just the going to throw that in there. Let's go to the Chargers now. They received a B grade according to the score. Again, they pulled in... Eight new guys. Their first-round selection was Zion Johnson, an offensive guard from Boston College. They also added Isaiah Spiller, the running back from Texas A&M. couple of uh, corners. Uh, they added in Xander Horvath from Purdue, who was a fullback with their, their final pick at uh, 260, which you don't see all that often. But what are your thoughts on the Chargers and the tools that they have brought in in this draft? I actually thought they had a great draft uh, because they took a, a plug-and-play offensive lineman. And he comes from a program where they didn't win a lot at Boston College, but this is back-to-back drafts now that the Chargers have taken an offensive lineman with their first overall pick. And last year they took Rashawn Slater, who also came from a, a school that doesn't win a lot at Northwestern, and he just dominated. He was the mm-hmm. best offensive lineman on their team, made the Pro Bowl as a rookie. And so if they hit with Zion Johnson, all of a sudden now they're building a pretty good offensive line to protect Justin Herbert, which was the main issue two seasons ago. Uh, he was just getting killed back there in the pocket. 
And then their third pick, which was in the fourth round, they took a running back from Texas A&M that I think might actually be the best running back in this class, Isaiah Spiller. He is phenomenal. Led the NCAA in broken tackles. Not really a speedster. He's a low center of gravity, a power runner. But I just think he's going to be a really nice complement to Austin Eckler and make their their offense that much better. And then back into the draft, they took another offensive lineman from Georgia. Uh, we know how big and strong just about everybody up front is for Georgia. So all in all, I, I really thought that they had had a pretty good draft. They didn't have any big splash, any big names outside of Spiller. You might recognize him just because of how good he was in college when he ran for 1,500 yards last year. But all the way around, if, if this offensive lineman pans out, I think it was a really good need pick for L.A. Yeah, they took a bunch of secondary players as well. J.T. Woods from Baylor, the safety. Jasir Taylor out of Wake Forest. Deanne, uh, is it Deanne or Dean uh, Leonard? I don't know. We'll have to look up pronunciations, but from Ole Miss. Uh, but a lot of secondary help as well, which has been kind of an aging area for the Chargers in the past too. So trying to recharge, much like the Chiefs as well in their secondary. Uh, then, of course, we have the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, the fewest picks in the division with only six, uh, but they bring in, let's see here, two running backs, two offensive linemen, and two defensive linemen as well. Uh, anybody stick out to you for what the Raiders did here? Well, the guy that they traded all their picks for, yeah, Devontae Adams, which I still think was a great <laughs> trade for them because it eliminated draft picks for them to screw up. I mean, yeah. they've had some terrible drafts. In fact, uh, none of their 2019 draft picks are they going to exercise the fifth-year option on. They're letting all those guys walk. I mean, just a huge swing and a miss in 2019. And Devontae Adams is better than anybody they could have picked uh, in this year's draft. So the fact that they went offensive line heavy with a couple of picks makes sense. Uh, I do like the running back from Georgia, Zamir White, although he wasn't their starter last year. Georgia, I guess, really didn't have a number one. They had Cook, uh, James Cook, who's uh, uh, Dalvin Cook's brother, who was really good. And then White was kind of the thunder to his lightning. And then two defensive tackles that you know they hope will pan out. Two guys from the SEC. There's worse places to draft defensive tackles from. So, you know, I, I give the Raiders. I don't even know if I'd give them a passing grade. They didn't really do anything in this draft to to wow me, other than getting Devontae Adams. You know, I, and I think that's okay, right? Like they're they're a good team. We know this. The Raiders have been right there, and they've challenged the Chiefs among other teams in this division. Uh, and honestly, I mean, they return. Derek Carr, which is always good. They've got plenty of, of tools. And it, this was, it just seemed to me like they were just kind of addressing depth, right? Like they still have pretty solid running backs. These guys will just step in and try and challenge them and it, it advance that running back room. They add some depth with a guard and a tackle offensively, two defensive linemen. I mean, it's just a, a depth thing and it's not going to wow you. And I think that's fine. I mean, they only had six selections anyways but like you mentioned the biggest draft pick was Devonte adams because that is perhaps the best wide receiver in the nfl uh and and you get him on your team now and he's reunited with his college quarterback in Derek carr so those guys already have a really good relationship and you'd figure that that's going to be a very dangerous combination for this coming year so it's not like the raiders really needed to wow anyone and I think you might 
if you're you're a Raiders fan, you might take some solace in the fact that you're okay flying a little bit under the radar with this draft in the exchange for the best wide receiver in football. Uh, so people can hate your draft all the, all you want. I, I would say they're probably in a pretty good situation regardless. I agree. This this will be the best Raiders team I think that I've probably seen in my lifetime. I mean, you look at their their depth chart, and OurLads.com is the website that I use for NFL depth charts. They do a great job of of structuring in an easy-to-read format. They update it daily, so it's got all the latest free agent uh, transactions and, and draft picks. And the receivers are Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Brian Edwards, who burst onto the scene last year. And then they still have Darren Waller at tight end. Derek Carr, I think, is a good quarterback. Uh, He's not elite, but I still think he's pretty good. Josh Jacobs is still there at tailback. They still have Kenyon Drake. They draft this kid from Georgia, so they kind of have a three-headed monster at tailback. Their offensive line is okay. I mean, they have a lot of former first-round picks up front, but they get rid of the ball so quickly that it makes their offensive line look a lot better. I mean, Derek Carr never gets sacked. And then defensively, you got to remember – they had one of the biggest off-seasons in the NFL by bringing in Chandler Jones, who was one of the top sack-getters in the league yeah. a season ago. You know, their secondary is loaded with Jonathan Abram and uh, uh, Max Crosby up front uh, at, at one of the defensive end spots. You know, I, I just think this team is loaded, like the other teams in the AFC West. I think you could look at everybody's depth chart and say, that's going to be a really good football team. And I know we always kind of tongue-in-cheek joke around the Raiders, uh, poke fun at the Raiders because – they always underachieve, but they were a playoff team last year. I mean, with mm-hmm. all the turmoil and the Raiders being the Raiders, they still made the playoffs. So I, I think they're I, I do think they're worth the hype coming into this season. Yeah, I agree. I think I think just about everyone in the in this division is worthy of the hype, which is a little bit different than years in the past, because it seems like almost every year teams like the Chargers are and, and I guess to the, the Broncos to a degree receive a lot of media hype as that like they're built up to be really good and then they turn out seasons like they did this past year and not make the playoffs even though they have all the talent in the world and and all the ability but this year I feel like it's different when you look at all these teams in the AFC West outside of Kansas City I mean they're all good they all have depth they all have uh, weapons that can hurt you on offense and and defensive players that are strong and powerful and, and really good defenses. And this year, it's going to be wild. I think this is going to be a league that really beats up on itself and everyone else. So the records may not reflect some of the best teams in football, but I think that they would still stand above others in terms of what they have on their rosters when you look at teams in you know the AFC North or oh, the yeah. AFC South, and anything else, it's just not going to compare well. So now um, let me ask you a question, real quick. Of the four teams we've talked about, which team in the AFC West do you think is the most likely to underachieve? If there's one team that ends up going seven and ten or eight and nine, who the, do you think it is? The one for me is the Denver Broncos, and because they, it's a lot of new faces with what they bring in in this draft, but the newest face that really matters is Russell Wilson, and he has had moments where he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but last year 
he was hurt and he struggled and didn't perform all that well, then he needed to get out of Seattle and move from that situation as they try to get a little bit younger and move in a new direction themselves. So he comes to Denver and seemingly that was their biggest issue was quarterback because of Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater and everything there. But I'm not so sure that just by bringing in a really good quarterback or a formerly really good quarterback is going to solve all their problems. I do think that they were just a quarterback away, and if Russell Wilson is the Russell Wilson of old this coming season, they will be a very dangerous team, but I just, I'm not sold on that's what he will become. Uh, And if he's an iffy quarterback as Russell Wilson, not only are the Broncos overpaying for him in that regard, they're also going to continue to underachieve just because even though they have really talented specialists on offense. They need somebody that can consistently produce and get those guys the ball. So I'm going to put it on the Broncos there. It's Broncos for me as well. For a lot of the same reasons, Russell Wilson. But for me, it's more I'm not 100% convinced he can stay healthy. He's 32, 33 now, and we we kind of saw him get bitten by the injury bug where he had a variety of issues the last two seasons Now, I do think if he stays healthy, uh, Denver's going to be really good because this will be the first time since Marshawn Lynch was in Seattle that Russell Wilson has had any semblance of a rushing game. With Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, Denver has one of the best offensive lines in the AFC. I think Cortland Sutton is a a star in the making at receiver. He just hasn't had a quarterback. Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler. I mean, they have talent at receiver. And defensively, they're always good. They picked up Randy Gregory from the Cowboys, one of the most sought-after free agents. Pat Sertan uh, is a a lockdown corner. So I I think they have the pieces if Russell Wilson stays healthy. But if he doesn't, there's no Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater to fall back on to try to get you through three or four weeks while he gets healthy again. Their backup is Brett Ripken. (laughs) Who is Brett Ripken? And the backup behind him is Josh Johnson. Uh, who's played on like 15 teams in 15 years. So there's there's no backup quarterback in Denver. So, I mean, they're all of their eggs are in the Russell Wilson basket. And I just, I'm not 100% convinced that he can stay healthy. And missing three or four or five weeks in the AFC West is going to cost you a playoff spot because the everybody else in the division is so good. Brett Rippon, by the way, uh, played at Boise State. And you can take that to the bank. Nice. Uh, we got to get to Is a break. Good? <laughs> I mean, for Boise State standards, yeah, absolutely. Um, but we got to get to a break. We'll come back and wrap up the show when we return. You are listening to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. <laughs> Final segment of In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. Jackson Schneider and James Wessling with you today. James, to end the show today, I've got a bit of current events for you, or a current event. I'm curious if you've heard about the Alabama corrections officer that is now a wanted fugitive uh, for helping an inmate escape and they ran off together. Okay. Have you heard about this Wait, at all? They, they ran off together. What does that mean? Like, like, so I'll, I'll read you this article. All right. Okay. And it comes from WKRN in uh, Nashville, I believe is where this was. But in Lauderdale County, Alabama, an Alabama correction officer has now been labeled a wanted fugitive along with an escaped inmate out of Lauderdale County. 
The U.S. Marshals Service has offered up a reward now up to $15,000 for information leading to their capture, including $10,000 for the inmate and $5,000 for the officer. Investigators believe that 56-year-old Vicki White helped Casey White escape from jail. They are not related. They just have the same last name. But I guess uh, Casey White was being held behind bars because he was being, he was accused of stabbing a man to death in September of 2020, charged with capital murder. Plus, he was already serving time for a 2015 crime spree that involved home invasion, carjacking, and a police chase. Uh, but Vicki White, which is the correctional officer, helped him escape, or so authorities believe, but he escaped on April 29th. So it seems as though there's a bit of a love interest between correctional officer and inmate. She then helps the inmate who is wanted for having committed a laundry list of heinous crimes, and they are now fugitives in the Alabama countryside with one another. There's a lot of Alabama jokes to be made there, and I was wondering where this was going. Was it a love interest? Was this cartel money that was maybe on the table? (laughs) I knew it had to be one of those two things, but never a dull moment in the state of Alabama, which I've only been to one time. I've been to Alabama once, and I drove through it to go to an Auburn football game Auburn was awesome. It was incredible. I have nothing but good things to say about Auburn. And I don't remember actually making any stops throughout the state. But, uh, yeah, I've heard some stories. uh, Not as wild as that one, but uh, you get the point. Uh, Yeah. So officials, by the way, added that Vicki White sold her home a month ago and was supposed to retire on the day that the two disappeared. Wow. So she literally just like... Cut all ties with her life, her retiring from her job, sold her house, all this to run off with a uh, a convict. Okay, so, so how long have they been on the loose? This happened April twenty ninth. So they've had Friday. the weekend. Yeah, the whole weekend, and they're still on the loose. They could be to South America by now. They, they could be could, completely out of the country. It could be anywhere. They could be listening to us right now they're in Saline County, in Mexico. but. Now this, I know you're you're a guy that that enjoys good Netflix shows and and things like that. we did our, our draft of really good TV shows last week, um, but the reason I brought this up because is to me this is the makings of the next great television show. It's like a redneck version of Prison Break, which I'm not sure if you've watched that or not. It is a fantastic show that was on Netflix and may still be out there, um, but just. Amazing, amazing Is that a documentary. Story. No, no, it's okay. it's a like a drama story about guys that escape a prison, and one guy's like I believe like falsely imprisoned and things like that. Is it so, a Netflix original? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's phenomenal ratings. I'm gonna have to check it. Yeah, out. it's that really good. Right up my alley. I, I don't know that I ever watched the last sh- the last season of it, but when I was watching it, it was phenomenal. Oh, wow. It was on for 12 years, 2005 to 2017. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Very good show. But yeah, so to me, that I just had to bring that up because to me this is like an outstanding new idea for a television show. Well, I'm a big fan of like cartel type shows. I'm obsessed with Narcos and right now I'm knee deep in Ozark. Uh the the back half of the final season just hit Netflix, which I'm 3 episodes in. And if I remember right, I think it's a little bit longer than the first half, so it, right now, three episodes in, they still have a lot to go over. And then the other movie that I just watched over the weekend, which is I highly recommend if you like action thrillers, it was incredible, Sicario. Came out in 2015, 
about two hours long, gets a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, which anything above a 7.5, that's that's my criteria, Jackson. It's going to be a good <laughs> flick. You can't miss on anything that's a 7.5 or better. Highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah. This one also, I had to I had to text my girlfriend. One of her favorite, like, funny movies is Masterminds with Zach Galifianakis and Kristen Wiig. Uh, t- to me, this has vibes for that as well. So I had to send her the link, and she thought it was really funny. But uh, that is our current event for today. Anything that we missed on the show today? We've only got a couple minutes left. Man, I don't think so. I'm trying to think the last comedy-type movie that I watched. I watched A Vacation Friends on Hulu. Highly underrated. It's got... Uh, a great cast. It was actually really funny. A Hulu original. Hulu makes some really good originals, I'm finding. I need to get a little bit deeper into the, the Hulu archives because I haven't found a bad show on there in a really long time. But, no, I think we hit it with K-State Recruiting. they got a big uh, week- weekend coming up that we'll probably talk more about in the next couple of days. They've got a five-star recruit, top 15 player in the nation coming in this weekend. He's going to be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for three days. Some speculation it might just be a courtesy visit. He's down to Tennessee, Auburn, and K-State. But you talk about a game changer for K-State and this staff, it would be him. Well, hey, you know, so far so good. I I would argue that once you get kids to Manhattan, things go pretty well. It's just a matter of getting them to Manhattan and past the, oh, it's just the middle of nowhere, Kansas kind of. uh, When he played his high school ball in Branson. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Link Academy. There's a new academy, a prep school in Branson that is huge. Some of the best basketball players in the country are playing basketball in Branson, Missouri. Chalk one up for Branson again. The more you know. The uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, the Titanic Museum, uh, Dolly Parton's uh, Dixie Stampede, yep. all and these great bunch comedians. bunch of 16 and 17-year-olds that are going to be in the NBA someday. <laughs> I guess so. I might be going to Branson at the end of the month, matter of fact, so might have to go check out some hoops while I'm down there. But that is going to wrap up our show today. We will be back at it tomorrow. The Royals game got moved to a 12-10 start, so we will be on air again tomorrow, 5:15 here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. For James Wesling, I'm Jackson Schneider. We will see you tomorrow.